Welcome back to Anime on the Sea to Sky. I apologize for the way my voice has been contorting a bit, at least for hopefully it's just going to be this episode, because I don't necessarily know what it is, or the change in atmosphere in between seasons now that we're finally heading into fall, even though honestly it's my favorite season of the year based on temperature, based on everything changing into fantastical sets of colors all around you, and, and thankfully having everything reside in a nice pretty chill atmosphere like leading into the transitions before we get hit by the Derrick winter. But at least the one thing that is going to be giving us a bit of a dynamic change in the midst of changing between these seasons is that now the fall anime 2022 season is already upon us. Considering Saturday already hit, the majority of the heavy hitters are going to be going through and have already had their opportunity to showcase their first episodes for the first of many to be debuting over the next couple of weeks. Hilariously enough, Pop Team Epic was the first one I ended up watching before, even Spy Family, before My Hero Season 6, and even before the one that just came out recently, which was the Gundam Witch of Mercury adaptation. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself there. There's going to be an episode on that coming out within the next couple of weeks, leading into at least the, what are going to be the big hitters and what are going to be the ones that everybody is looking forward to leading into the fall season. But for now, I'd at least like to look back and reflect on what was supposed to be a relatively tame and just underwhelming season for anything outside of Main Abyss, as that was the only big piece that was going to be coming through inside of the summer 2022 season. But thankfully, we were pleasantly surprised with a couple of other items that ended up hitting a little harder than we would have expected. And thankfully, I'll be able to get to those quicker than usual, considering that there hasn't really been a lot of big news uh, pieces coming out over the past couple of weeks, considering that everybody is just primed and set up for what is essentially going to be the Armageddon of the industry for all the huge profile shows that are going to be dropping in the next couple of weeks. But at least for now, the only major one that's going to be getting a official release date lining up into next year, which is going to be Gretzko's fifth season, which is going to launch on Netflix at some point in February of 2023. Now... I didn't like the second half of the fourth season too much. I didn't really like the way it was able to go and like slide across a couple of the major issues between the relationships of a couple of the characters and how a couple of their actions may have hurt or what essentially they're going to be looking like moving forward. But at least it was able to set up a pretty decent conflict in the first half where it just wasn't able to kind of bring it all together towards the end inside of its second half. And it wasn't really too well. So I'll give it a pass at least here and I will go through and watch the fifth season. But at this point in time, if the fifth season doesn't necessarily give me anything more to look forward to after it airs, I might as well just drop the show entirely. Now, my summer mostly constituted helping moving around bits of things for my family, not only for my dad and my uncle and a couple of other people, but I guess there was a lot more time on my hands in that piece to actually go through and catch up on a couple of shows that have been sitting in my backlog, considering especially when September hit, it was the month where I knew that if I don't get through a lot of my backlog within this month in particular, I'm going to have absolutely no time and I'm going to be at a standstill in between October and December once the majority of the big hitters start coming through inside of the fall season. And so at least for that, I was able to go through and get a lot of uh, movies that are going to be covered in future episodes off of my list. I was able to go through and watch 
in the previous episode in particular, Cyberpunk Edgerunners, which is an absolutely fantastic surprise to introduce to the mix. And even though I had absolutely no, no expectation, well, I'm not going to say I had no expectations for it. It was done by Studio Trigger and held by Hiroyuki Imaishi. So I was at least expecting an entertaining jod through the rest of the Cyberpunk universe. And I got that and more, which is definitely more than most adaptations at least we've been able to go through, whether it's movie or games. But thankfully I covered the majority of that in the previous episode, so I would definitely recommend going and give that a listen. But at least for the movies I'll get to in a bit, the shows that I didn't end up going through inside of the summer season were a lot of sequels and a couple of remakes that didn't necessarily jive with me or ones that I didn't really pay too much attention to or give too much of a priority. So I mean, I haven't seen any of Classroom of the Elite Season 2 or its original for the rest of that. I heard a couple of good things about Shadow House as well as the second season that just premiered, so that's kind of a thing. Overlord Season 4, if you like Overlord, then you're definitely in for the long haul, so it's just those who liked Overlord definitely continue to watch that. It's not really too much of a priority, especially considering that it is more of a power fantasy as well as a quote-unquote isekai. You know, yeah, never mind. It is definitely an isekai considering how the main character was able to get himself to the situation that he is now, but that's beside the point. In the past couple of months, I mean, like, I understand how Rent-A-Girlfriend got a little spicier in terms of its second season, or at least from what I heard, but what even just gave me... A much more entertaining and hilarious event to watch would have definitely been the release of one of the latest chapters where the main dude essentially still, like, gets a hard-on imagining his quote-unquote fake girlfriend getting railed by another dude who he's been seeing walking around with her a lot. The funniest part, though, is that he's in a beret. Like, the beret is, like, one of the major pieces of this dude's outfit, but the beret stays on during sex. It's like, no, honey, this stays on. And just the complete and utter, not necessarily backlash, but the overwhelming reaction to everybody's just absolute disgust and disappointment at this main character is just kind of, like, so hilariously cathartic in anybody that ever thought this was going to be anything more than, like, a trashy rom-com. The fact that it's still, like, this was in chapter number of the 200s. Like, it was absolutely insane. And so not only was this dude getting a hard-on in the middle of a pool or a public pool, he was also, I think he also, like, cried, like, a good amount after the whole fantasy in his head just happened. And it was just so fucking ridiculously crazy, especially the, uh... 4chan archives. I don't use 4chan at all, but I know when something big like that happens on the internet, you know that there is going to be a thread that is going to be consistently archived and held down for just the ridiculous and hilarious initial reactions of everybody involved. So regardless, I'm never going to be watching the show or read the manga, but the fact that it's still able to cr like create such, not controversy, but just hilarious back and forth and conflict is just so hilarious to me. Besides that, what else did we end up getting? We There was a remade season of Tokyo Mew Mew, which it's a good question. I definitely remember watching it or a handful of episodes of it as a kid when it ended up airing either on the Kids WB Network block or the Saturday morning block, as well as YTV's late night. I think Bionics, maybe, but there's not a lot that like gave me too much of a connection to it. So even though I'm glad to see that this new adaptation is out, 
it's not necessarily something that I prioritize either. So it's I'm glad for the people that enjoyed it, but at this point, I'm not going to give it a watch for some time. Also, I raised my hat to the fans of Isekai Ojisa, in which definitely seemed like from the box art, it wasn't going to be something like too much where it's like, oh, Isekai, great. Oh, it's an older main character. Sure, but that doesn't that doesn't guarantee success. I'm glad that the 90s and early aughts jokes translated well into the rest of it, considering that there was a good number of people that really enjoyed the show. Unfortunately, COVID didn't, considering that it was the one major adaptation inside of the season where COVID just completely and utterly scrapped the production. Like, there was too many cases going around the office. It was keeping the production, like, held at a standstill. And at this point in time, the last handful of episodes of the season for the first is held on an indefinite hiatus. So I'm hoping that at some point they'll be able to get it done and get the last pieces and the last pieces of episodes end up coming out for those who really enjoyed the series because it honestly, from the screen caps and the jokes that I've seen, seems pretty good and funny in more ways than I would have expected for like a cheap isekai reference show. And so the biggest one that I ended up missing through this season would have been Licorice Recoil. And from the screen caps, from the clips, from the ridiculous cast of characters, as well as the kind of John Wick-esque, like, fighting style, as well as the action and the drama and, like, the really good chemistry between all of the characters involved, it definitely seems like it was not really a hidden gem, considering about how popular and how well the Blu-rays have been selling over the past couple of weeks. I'm definitely glad to see this kind of an original production, like, go and make its mark, because people were trying to go through and feel like, oh yeah, so what was the last like major original show that really ended up like getting people going? And sure, it might have been based, like a handful of it was based on the novel, but I would definitely like, what was it? A Place for the Universe like was really well received in the past, or what was it, 2018? And that also sold really well. So I'm definitely glad to see that there was another uh, like good and steadily produced original anime that has been making the rounds. And from what I've seen from the comments of the ending, I definitely feel like they stuck, it definitely felt like they stuck the landing, so I'm going to give it a watch at some point. I'll set it on my list after the majority of stuff has been able to go through and be completed, but I'm definitely glad to see that something of this caliber and something so original was able to go through and make the rounds as well as make a name for itself inside of a I'm actually glad it would have been done this season because it definitely would have been overshadowed by everything else that comes out next year or in the next season inside of fall. So I'm definitely glad that if anything, it was able to debut in the summer of 2022. So it was able to make as big of a mark as it was able to. So now for the stuff that I actually did watch. Now I can get the movies out of the way. I'll just get Dong Lee's. So I can't remember if I talked about it in the previous episode, but I'm definitely going to get this off my chest. Don Bleas is probably, at the end of the year, going to be, like, my least favorite movie of 2022. I didn't necessarily have high, high expectations. The only reason I ended up going to see Goodbye Don Bleas was because it was done by the same director as, like I said before, A Place Further Than the Universe. And so Atsuko Ishizuka, like, did a fantastic job with that original setting and with that original cast of characters... But she ended up trying to, even though she reduced the size of the main cast down to three, she only gave herself a movie's worth of time and really expected us to fill in the dots on the relationships between the rest of these characters and how well they interact. I will admit, like, the main two boys, uh, like, which I'm really trying to struggle considering, like, without a list, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have given more of a shit to actually go through. 
And I guess she didn't either because none of these, <laughs> none of the main three have last names. So it's like Roma and Toto, the two boys that were the other one ended up going to Tokyo high school, their relationship was much more grounded and much more like natural in the, in the sense that you, these two boys have known each other like since childhood. They have known each other for years. Even though they've been separated for a good half of a year, it seems like nothing has changed in between them. They always get on each other's nerves, but they still have the opportunity to go through and support one another as really good friends. And Drop, who's the main plot device, I guess? Drop is the boy who ended up showing up to Roma's place and has kind of filled the void as the main friend character for, like, less than half a year. And it's really fucking weird that you would assume that... Because they, they just don't have no chemistry. It's like, Drop is this bubbly, optimistic force that propels the movie forward, but that doesn't necessarily make him either likable or even remotely interesting. And so, the fact that Ishizuka, she ended up not only directing this but penning the script, she really tried to strike lightning twice but fell flat to the point where it was just an ember the size of a match. There was absolutely no sparks here, no creativity, like no real reason to bring any kind of grandizing or at least memorable pieces or memorable moments inside of what is like not necessarily an animated version of Stand By Me but just... Oh, it, it, I, uh, it's, it's really difficult to explain. The only major thing that is ever going to stick with me after the end of this movie was the fact that they ended up doing like a minute and a half rock rendition of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And the last time I saw anything remotely close to that, or at least the last time they did something like like an English rendition would have been in Your Lion April, but at least they had the common decency to just end it at the end of the song. And they were, I believe that the main characters were like playing a piano with a little girl and they were playing it to the tune of the song to at least get, not only get her invested in piano, but also like deal with her nervousness and the rest of it. Perfect, that's totally fine. They took the 15, 20 second thing and extended it to like over a minute and a half, all sung by the main trio of voice actors who can barely speak English at all. Like the fact that it was just like, okay, I was kind of cringing. I was kind of like sinking into the back of my seat. I was so close to being reverted to a child who's just so annoyed by the things that he doesn't like that I was that close to just bringing my hands out to my ears and, and just cupping them. Like they're, Like I would have just wanted to be I wanted to be anywhere else for that minute and a half. It was just so ridiculously out of place and out of nowhere that had no reason to stick around inside of this. And the fact that they stretched out for a minute and a half as this weird rock ballad rendition of... And it would have been interesting if they were like, oh yeah, no, well, so we'll do the English rendition first and then we will go forward and add a couple verses onto it in Japanese just to kind of like bring it home and make it seem more familiar. Nope, they ended up just like doing it all in English. And it was just so, this is easily like, it's so weird for anything like this to get me riled up in any sort of capacity, but it was just so out of left field and pointless and cringeworthy to the point where it felt like I reverted back to a goddamn uh, like middle schooler. It was so ridiculously annoying and lifeless where it's it's the only thing that brought that brings out any strong emotions from me out of this film. It's just so ridiculously piss poor. And the only other thing that I guess I have to say about it is that it's probably the biggest excuse for a location scout for a animated film I have ever fucking seen. Where it's like I definitely feel like Ishizuka like really enjoys 
uh, like not necessarily northern, but really cold environments, ones that are closer to either of the poles, and she really likes that barrenness and complacency and like something that's incredibly uniform, but also has like little pieces that keep it unique and interesting, considering that we went to Antarctica in a place further than the universe, and now we get to go to Iceland in Goodbye Dunglees. If this whole movie was an excuse for her to get the opportunity to go lo uh, location scouting inside of Iceland, I would have totally understood that, and I totally would have accepted it. Because everything rendered in this movie of the landscape that is Iceland was just absolutely stunning to look at. It was phenomenally gorgeous. One of the only positive things I can say about this film, especially when it comes down to Studio Madhouse, because you know Madhouse is going to make things, you know, as perfect as they possibly can whenever it comes to environment and, like, set design. It was beautiful. It's too bad the characters weren't beautiful, the writing wasn't beautiful, the story wasn't beautiful. Nothing intrinsic about this movie had any reason for it to exist, and I definitely am not going to be looking forward to anything like she is going to be, like, bringing forward ever since. I will keep my ears perked, if I hear her name, if they say, like, I really hope they say the director of A Place Further Than the Universe, and if they add, and the director of Goodbye Donglees, it's just going to be, no, what What do you mean, Donglees? Like, what do you mean? That doesn't exist. Because it's just, the like, there's nothing positive to say about this movie. Like, absolutely nothing. Which is definitely tragic to the point where I'm glad it was only an hour and a half long, because it definitely felt longer than that, but the fact that it's just over now and I don't necessarily have to deal with it anymore, except for the fact that their fucking Twinkle Twinkle Little Star English rendition is going to be staying rent-free inside of my head, and the fact that that's the only thing that's going to be sticking with me from this film has got me irritated to no end. Okay, maybe we can go a little more positive. Uh, I mean, at least, I finally ended up getting to watch uh, the new Dragon Ball Z Super movie. It was... Like everybody said, it was a little bit of a tone whiplash considering that it was a lot more comedy-oriented than either, you know, Resurrection F or Broly was. But it was still a really enjoyable watch to kind of see a like, couple of the characters that you haven't necessarily seen in a while or haven't really been given a lot of opportunities to shine considering, like, how much of the forefront that uh, Goku and Vegeta have been able to get, considering that Gohan and Piccolo have not really been that relevant for a good amount of time. And the fact that this was like bringing back everything related to the Cell Saga and all of the moments of hype that you kind of felt, like if you were a Gohan or a Piccolo fan, then this was definitely your movie because they were the ones that ended up getting the most screen time, the most focus, the most opportunities to continuously evolve throughout the rest of the movie. And it's kind of funny since it's like, oh yeah, no, if you don't do this, then your friends will die. It's like, well, not really. They'll die, but the Dragon Balls exist. So there's not really too much conflict and too much at stake inside of this film. Which is kind of why I'm glad that like a lot of the comedy does hit home. Especially with the fact that probably we have one of the world's most powerful three-year-olds that now knows how to use key and she can learn to fly. Like, Gohan's daughter is just an absolute joy whenever she's on screen. Where she's like, oh yeah, no, like, where's dad? It's like, oh, he's over here. She's being held at gunpoint, but because she doesn't know what a gun is, it's just kind of like, yeah, you're coming with us. And she's able to fucking level a dude that's seven feet and built like a prick shithouse. It was so hilarious to see all of her interactions were basically just... Piccolo is the second dad because he is. He's the one that looks after her more than either Videl or Gohan do. So it's kind of insane in that regard. 
But yeah, no, it was an incredibly fun watch. I still prefer Broly a bit more considering how bombastic those fights were. And the fights in this one were good, especially with the moments how Gohan is able to evolve and bond even further with Piccolo. Like, seeing those two, like, their relationship continue to evolve over the course of this, like, decade-spanning work is just still phenomenal to this day. And I'm really glad to see that they were able to get a little bit more of the spotlight shone on them, even though they haven't had as many opportunities to do so in the past couple of years. So that was definitely something that made me happy. And then on top of that, a more pleasant surprise that I finally ended up getting to watch on Netflix was Drifting Home. This was the same deal as Goodbye Donglees, where the only reason I ended up giving this movie a watch in the first place was because it was done by Hiroyasu Ishida. And so he was the one that ended up doing the directing work for one of his previous pieces, which was, in this case, Penguin Highway. And I was able to go through and see Penguin Highway back in 2018, which is just so far long ago, I can't believe that. And it was... Something that it was one of those deals where if I had the option to go into something with hype or with absolutely no expectations whatsoever, then like put me on the ground floor. Just like as long as like not necessarily that anything I watch after that is going to be good by default because I have absolutely no expectations. But the fact that it, it he ended up doing the exact same thing he did with Penguin Highway, where it was just there are a lot of or at least in this case every single character is a child that's going through and they take the main spotlight. There is no, in terms of Penguin Highway, there's like no major adult character that goes through, or at least the one that is connected the most to the main characters is, um, in this case, Kosuke's granddad. And so that was like, it was definitely recognizable how that kind of relationship impacted everybody, or at least not him, but the two main characters of the film, which would have been Kosuke and Natsume. And it's definitely fun not well fun nothing what the what these kids go through is fun where it's just they are some of the most resourceful elementary schoolers i have ever seen like like even by anime standards they're ridiculously responsible but it's definitely the relationships that they have to like reforge especially with not necessarily small misunderstandings but just even the smallest comment could leave the biggest impact and the biggest void between a relationship that even though in this case Kosuke meant nothing horrible by it because of that he was not able to do what he wanted to do throughout the rest of this film and it caused a rift between his and Natsume's relationship which was definitely like one of the major conflicts inside of the film and trying to get them back together and if they're able to possibly rekindle that by the time these chaotic events are over because these kids go through a lot of shit <laughs> in this movie. It's just absolutely crazy, the not only the events that go through, but also the trials and tribulations that they have to go through to just reconcile in some of the more in some like in the simplest of ways, but the chemistry between all the kids, all of them have their role to play. Everybody has an opportunity to shine and everybody has an opportunity to bring their own uh, like unique personality and can either contribute or detract from the group as a whole. But it's the way that they bounce off of each other is that at the end of the day, they're all kids. And it definitely felt like they were just kids thrust into a situation where none of them could possibly be prepared for. And even though they're just brought to the their wits end, they're still able to go through and succeed like in the direst of scenarios. So it's definitely a more uplifting film 
to go through. And it was like what Curiosity was able to do before just completely and utterly surprised me with a positive experience I wasn't expecting. So I definitely give him props for that. And I would definitely give Drifting Home a recommendation to anybody who finds it on Netflix. And now I guess we can get to the rest of the season, which takes up the majority of the time, even though I'm actually surprised I was able to make uh, quite enough. But that's kind of what uh, Donglees does to you. But at least in this case, I was able to go through and start and continue to move on with uh, a couple of series. Some were sequels and some were ones that were able to surprise me to a point and some unfortunately were going to be leading down the route of Donglees and also lead for the majority of disappointment. But at least I can start off with Jojo Part 6. So Stone Ocean recently ended up getting its second core open on Netflix. I just was able to get through and start an episode 15 as of as of now. I believe the whole thing is going to be 39 episodes, and so Netflix, being Netflix, still has no idea when they're going to be releasing episodes, uh, what would that be, like 27 to 39? I believe the only, the first 26 are now out, but people are just not being able to talk too much about it because Netflix doesn't say shit about this either. So... At least for the first 15 episodes, I'm definitely engrossed and I'm really curious to see how they're going to be continuously like propping up more interesting battles inside of the Stone Ocean, inside of the penitentiary. I'm really curious to see how this gone because it's definitely gotten my attention and it's definitely also quirked my interest. Um, Cyberpunk Endrunners is currently like in the front runner for one of my favorite shows of the year. I was able to do a full episode on that, so I would definitely give that a recommendation and a watch. If you have to choose between... Uh, the Japanese or the English, I would honestly recommend the English in this case, considering that the majority of the, the flavor text on screen, as well as the excessive use of the word fuck, like brings the adaptation like to a much like more grandizing and just fantastical action set piece that honestly I don't think any other series inside of this year was able to come close to doing. But it was definitely interesting to see this get split down the middle in the sense of the shows that I ended up watching that were disappointments and the shows that I ended up watching that were a well that either lived up to my expectations or exceeded them. So I don't remember what essentially I was interested in at all when Ruby Ice Queendom was able to go through. Maybe it's just because it's been over a year, like near two years since I've had like any like mainline Ruby content going through. So I was really curious to see how an actual Ruby anime would translate. And it's definitely a show that is carried by the one piece of uh, key animation that happens like once every three to four episodes or so. And then people can just be like, oh man, this animation is so fucking good. And then they revert to like easily some of the worst background, the worst stale character designs, and like some of the worst like move cycles I have seen like in a modern production. Like it is outside of those ridiculously well-cut pieces of animation, everything else looks like dog shit. It is just so ridiculous to see, like, that kind of product come out of Shaft. It's just so... The only things that made me feel anything were the first episode's reintroduction because I have not re-watched any of Ruby since the first season came out back in 2013, I believe. And so, like, re like seeing that same scene go forth inside an actual anime nine years after the release of the initial first season like that got me feeling a couple of ways but at least moving on from that it was just episode one and episode 12 were the only two pieces where i was like happy to see these characters and seeing the rest of it 
they, what did they do? I think it was three to four episodes were just retellings of the first season. And then the last, and then the last eight to nine were new content with a new Huntress and just a new conflict for them to go over. And not a lot of interesting stuff happened in there because we already know everybody's going to make it out. We already know how the story is going to end. And we already know like this is all just padding. This is all just filler for the opportunity of some of a couple of artists inside of Shaft to like go wild for a product that they or a or an entity of animation that they really enjoyed because there was not a lot else to find inside of Ruby. The only thing I can say is that, okay, well, if you really want to like have something taken away from this and you want to enjoy it, then there's probably a five to six minute compilation of the best cuts of this <laughs> series. And that's probably only the only positive thing that you can take out of this. And the only other thing that I can take away is that, holy shit, I need to go back and rewatch Ruby at some point because I don't know if the next season is going to be the last. If I have to guess, it's going to be the second last. But at some point in time, I'm probably going to have to re I'm going to rewatch all of Ruby, and it will be soon. And I will assume, and I'm going to guess that I'll do it after the end of this new season that's going to be coming out next year. But at this point in time, I don't know when that's going to happen. Um, Yure Deco unfortunately has the title of probably the worst science sorry work I have seen to date. And it's just the closest anything else has come to that inside of Science Sorrow would have probably been Japan Sinks 2020, where I just did not care about any of the characters. The, the biggest vibes that it ended up giving me any similarities to would have been to Kaiba, considering that both of their art styles are incredibly childish and cartoonish, which gives a interesting veil to cover the majority of the incredibly dark undertones of what the series actually is. Like, especially with information manipulation, the fact that everything has gone to digital, almost everything has gone to digital currency, and nobody es essentially cares about what's happening inside of the island that they live on, as long as the wool is pulled over their eyes, and the government is able to filter out all of the public information that goes through, which is, which definitely could have been an interesting way to look at it if they had more time, but they just didn't. And I believe Huckleberry Finn was the book that they tried to emulate a bit, but it was just so weird to see all these characters go through, and the fact that I didn't care about a single one of them is just an astonishing feat. Especially the main hacker dude, I just don't really know. Like, hacker dude or hacker girl, I can't really tell considering what they were trying to insinuate in the final episode, but it was just not a lot. The ideas and the concepts were interesting, it's just the execution was incredibly fell flat. And just because this is Science Saru, and just because it's Science Saru, they've had more directors than just Masaki Wasa. But the fact that this was ended up done in the same vein, and it was done by Tomohisa Shiroyama, it just didn't really work. None of it really worked. Kimiko Ueno didn't really, like, line down the best script, and there's not a lot of stuff to kind of go through, considering that this was, besides, like, a small Super Shiro TV adaptation which was a spin-off of Crayon Shinchan that doesn't really have a lot going for it outside of it being like five episodes long, or not five, like five minute long episodes. Their, their first major length directorial piece just definitely fell flat. I'm, I'm hoping that they can bounce back, but it just there was nothing for me inside of the show. And it definitely is not an easy recommend for anybody like looking for like new good stuff out of Science Saru. But thankfully, Inuo exists, so go watch Inuo. 
I'm trying to figure out what is the biggest disappointment here between Ruby and this, but Devil's a Part-Timer Season 2 is so late at this point, it probably should have just stayed dead and stayed inside of its own light novel and its own medium, because nobody in the original on the original team that was like done by this has any time to like come back and like prioritize on this show in particular, which was still a great comedy. It was funny. It was flamboyant. There were so many good pieces of animation that like fed into the comedy based on how well the characters were drawn and how well their facial expressions were able to just spice up any kind of scene that they were going for. But holy hell was this adaptation just, I don't know. I, I can't really say like adaptate the adaptation was bad because I would imagine it's the same like it's the same jokes, it's the same story, it's the same setup for what is essentially going to be happening later on, but there's no animation to speak of. There's no dynamic action, which there wasn't a lot in the first season, but they tried, and instead of like having a lot of fluid motion, they cranked it all up into one moment like per episode when they had to get serious, and not only did that moment land with a good amount of catharsis, it was also funny as hell. Especially when it comes to their faces, especially when it comes to like how well the characters interacted and how well they interacted with the world as a whole, not only through the comedy, but through the world building itself and the new languages and the new opportunities that each of these characters bring into the fold. Wow, this, this fucking anime was shit. Which is weird because like me and a lot of other people who were like confused and like three episodes in, you're like, was, was this always shit? Was Devil's a part-timer just, was it always that bad? And I just, like it was, it came out when I was young and I didn't know what good anime was. And then it's like you go back to the first three episodes of the first season and it's fucking hilarious. The timing still lands. All the characters like are put in more ridiculous scenarios that they that they have to adapt to as well as do a really good job in just like dealing with all the bullshit that happens around their lives regardless of the ridiculous kinds of events that end up moving forward. It was all funny. It was all like not necessarily relatable, but it was it was like really homey and you, every you kind of felt a wholesome attachment to all these characters regardless of where they came from. You felt none of that in the new adaptation. You could feel that the directing style was off and that it was flat. You could feel like the setup of the jokes were absolutely horrific and there was no payoff, especially when they tried to introduce any kind of drama to any of the conflicts and any of the characters. And while some characters are crying and some characters are trying to hold it together because it's just so sad, it's like, do I even care at this point? Because once they try to bring the drama back into the fold and you haven't given me any reason to get myself readjusted or like like getting back into the same wholesome relationship I had with these characters nine years ago, when the drama hits, or what you'd like to call drama, none of it lands. And it is so pathetically flat on almost every piece of essentially the writing, the joke delivery, the drama that it decides to ensue, as well as the conflict that continuously tries to step onto their door. You don't care about any of it because the directing's flat, the sound is flat, the jokes are flat, the characters are flat. It's just the most bare-bones adaptation of a series that goes through. And it definitely, yeah, never mind. It, it was easily, like, probably the worst thing I watched inside of this season, considering just how lackluster and how disappointing everything inside of this series has become, which is fantastic, because guess what? There's going to be a second part with the same team coming out in 2023, and I am not going to even touch 
anything that this show is going to be like bringing out towards that so it's just oh my god it's i'd like to say good riddance but i really did enjoy this series and it was one of the first probably 50 shows i ended up watching and just to see it be given this treatment so far down the line i don't know it's just kind of sad but at least i can get back into the positives again because i would say it's not anime but i'm going to be giving an episode to it eventually hilda was just glorious and gorgeous and fun and charming and just everything else for the rest of it you, like in in the midst of the gap of me not being able to go through and have to wait for the third and final season of the owl house like having this opportunity because i believe the animation studio is out of ottawa and it was just the fact that i was able to go through and have this opportunity to go through since everybody was singing its praises everybody was like they were in love with the style they were in love with the characters they were in love with the world and all the scandinavian and northern myths and legends and all of it that gets brought to life it's just such an engaging and charming series that i couldn't help but ridiculously enjoy it started out as something where it's like oh i'm going to show my six-year-old nephew this and i'm just going to see how he enjoys it we got through a couple of episodes and it was weird in the sense that i think we got about six episodes in and he's like oh do we yeah it's fine but i kind of want to watch something else it's like okay we'll watch something else <laughs> the fact that i ended up it's like no this is actually like really fun and engaging and enjoying i'm gonna go pick this up and continue to watch it so yeah like i'll definitely give an episode on this in at a future date but man i fucking loved hilda and i'm really glad to see that there is going to be another season coming out but once again it's going to be the final season and it's just like oh my god do you want to keep stretching out a series that you love until it's rung dry and there's nothing more to give than it kind of just lays down in a flop? Or do you want to end it on something, or do you want it to stop when it was just catching its stride? I don't know, it's a really tough decision to go for, but man, I'm just really enjoyed that I was able to find it anyways. And so I'm really enjoying to like delve deep into even more of what made that series so magical. And now jumping back to the anime side of things, I was definitely impressed with everything that came before for like a handful of shows that I was kind of tentative to go through and see what how exactly they were going to turn out towards the rest of it. And Yofukashi no Uta was just easily like one of the bigger surprises that I was able to find. And considering that this was done by the Mongatari director from basically season two onwards, I'm this is like this is what good direction does where if like in the drastic like opposite side of the camp in terms of like mao season two this show in particular like made me like realize and just remember how important it is to have like a good director at the helm because with that it makes the character dynamics and the dialogue flow a lot more smoothly a lot of the jokes like start landing especially on how you're able to cut how you're able to storyboard how you're able to set up a joke and how the payoff is able to either be dragged out or just left at the drop of a hat <laughs> it's just it was so ridiculously entertaining i was a little skeptical in the first handful of episodes considering that like especially with with the age gap with not really knowing how to respond to all like a lot of these characters and how they're being treated and a lot of which kind of made me a little uncomfortable but after like you realized how it's like no it it's it is but no it isn't comfortable and but it's totally fine considering everybody else inside of the cast like treats it as a normal like setup and a normal occurrence and as that continues to go towards normalcy for better or worse you get to go through and experience all the dangers and the enjoyment and the ecstatic excitement that you're able to feel 
inside of these late night environments. The overall vibe in the atmosphere, especially with like the ridiculously cool shades of purple bleeding out throughout the rest of the night laden neighborhood, it was just a really fun and engaging show. Extremely funny. Like this, like easily, I'm trying to think about what it's more, I would probably call it a drama first and a comedy second. Where it's kind of like, yeah, the romance is kind of there, but you're, you're kind of like more focusing on how the rest of the characters navigate this nightscape and what essentially they do to essentially not stay bored. And the, the, how the rest of the relationships like continue to move forward and like seeing the chemistry between several different pairs leading into the rest of the series as well as how they're able to go through and like consistently land almost every joke that they decide to throw out. It was just... An amazing sight to see and like a good realization to the fact that it's like like this is this is what you need to do this is what directing is able to do and I'm incredibly glad that they were able to bring out Tomoyuki Itamura as well as Tetsuya Miyanashi like up to the forefront because easily one of my favorite shows of the season and then moving beyond that we also have probably my most anticipated sequel of the season which was Main Abyss season 2 and there's it's really tough to delve into this series Whenever you're trying to figure out what you like and dislike, because they're so equal in variance and weight, but regardless of how horrible the pieces of this work decide, like like the horrible acts that this work decides to incorporate upon our characters, what it's able to do with not only the melancholy, the atmosphere, the world, and the hope that it's still able to bring inside of Abyss that decides to discard all of it at a moment's notice, I'm really glad to see that even as the series continues on, small moments are still be are still able to found in just what is a murky, desolate pit of darkness and despair and absolute tragedy. I'm trying to think what was worse because I'm not because I definitely don't want to spoil. I definitely because of how problematic it is. Main Abyss is a really weird series where if not for the major graphic just child objectification and suffering that it brings upon the majority of these minor characters and when i and i don't say minor characters as in like they're not born it is like the characters are minors and it's just the horror that befalls all of them throughout this adventure is just makes it even that much harder to not only stomach but to just recommend anybody in like outside of the anime sphere regardless of how fucking good the show is and regardless of its quality because I acknowledge it, it is there, and it is very, very hard to stomach, and it's just kind of like, if you didn't have this specific fetish and this specific niche that you want to see play out on your page, this would easily be like the most well-known, renowned, and recommended just fantasy series, like bar none, like inside of anime, like top three, period. But it's just... What the author decides to do with his characters is just so benign and just, like, mean is underselling it. But it's just tragic what he ends up putting them all through, especially with what he decides to focus on, especially considering that he doesn't let them, he, not only does he not let them breathe, he doesn't let them give any privacy either. So it's just really fucking awkward every single episode. I think every episode, like, has a moment like that and it just always makes you just ask why. Like, why is this here? Why is this inside of a work that, regardless of that, could almost be like a perfect fantasy adaptation. But unfortunately, it's there, and we all have to 
stomach it to varying degrees of success because I definitely know people who are just turned off entirely by it and I can totally understand that. But digging through that amount of shit inside of this, you find like some of the brightest and most brilliant pieces of story and characters and world building inside this medium. It's incredibly difficult to wade through all of that, but at the end of the day, I do believe it is worth it, especially with how they were able to conclude this arc of the story. And while it's probably going to take us another four to five years or so to like reach into the next part of the abyss, I'm definitely going to be excited to see where it takes us and where essentially it's going to go. And that is also going to bring with it a new dose for of suffering to our characters. But if what I've seen them get through at this point, I can definitely say they'll be able to go through with a smile on their faces and believe that it was all worth it in the end. And finally, a show that I was able to get through and finish today, since I was not caught up on it and I just wanted to make like the final piece of the show an event, would have been Summertime Render. Um, and it is now in the upper echelon of time travel series, like just period, not just anime, period. It did a fantastic job weaving together a world that is built upon alien nature, mystery, violence, despair, and ultimately the hope that the majority of our characters face through the time maze that they have to navigate and hopefully find the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, it was a really good show. Me and a lot of others, when we were done it halfway through, like, following spring, it was, like, easily one of the best shows to come out of that season. But then we were also thinking, okay, this is a mystery, this is time travel, this is something that's still got 12 episodes to go, and so much room to fail. Like, there is no possible way, or at least it's so... It had such a small opportunity of success to actually go through and not only continue to build and expand upon the world, to continuously add new mysteries while solving all the ones in a satisfying way, but then to top it all off with a good enough to conclusion for people to not only recommend and revel inside of its ending, but to at least leave it on a note where everybody was left satisfied and not wanting. Because if you would have been able to go through and like leave a time loop story down and not everybody was satisfied, then that would have been like a huge knock against the series. Thankfully, at the end of the day, the series itself was able to go through and end off with a bang that was just more soft and subtle than you would think. But considering how well that this show was able to like bring forward its characters, how well it was able to trip or not really trip to tiptoe around the anime tropes that it does end up bringing in and tries to just entice the audience a bit like there's way too many especially in the, the early episodes they were like here's a panty shot oh it's a time loop here's another panty shot and it's just like okay i, I, I see what you're doing here but can you please not give this priority and can you please get back to the mystery instead of like letting the audience ogle all of the characters like going around except for Hizuru. Hizuru is just, oh, she is fantastic. <laughs> like, she is a phenomenal oddball character in a series full of oddballs that are just trying to navigate the death game that not that they're just trying to go through and survive at the end of the day. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes Shinpei just has to go through and restart over at another point, which really doesn't bode well for everybody else involved. But the fact that 
I was really enjoying him as a character as well, where he definitely didn't seem sane, but he was definitely somebody that just was able to drop... Like, he was... He could have been a character where he would have just been one-note, monotone, all right, I gotta look at this at the as the objective point of reference. I need to be objective, and I need to look at everything from every angle, and then I'll be able to find the solution. It's That is a good portion of his character, like, based on how he thinks on moments and how he's able to go through and unravel the mysteries and solve the problems that essentially keep on catching up to him every loop. But he still does a good job, like, not only connecting with all the characters, whether he plays off them, whether he deflects them, whether he tries to bring them in and help them, and how essentially he's able to go through and try to reconcile what he is able to, the relationships that he ended up abandoning in the past. And so I really enjoyed his facet and his interactions with all the characters because he is a really good core for a mystery series and somebody who is at least able to not only help connect the dots for everybody without like holding their hand too much, everybody still has the opportunity to go through and pick up the crumbs just like everybody else inside of the series. But there are times where it's like, okay, this, 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 and this just happened. I'm going to bring out the whiteboard and we're going to go through this together, okay? So... All of it is natural, considering how much some of the characters know and how some of the characters don't. So at least it not only makes sense in-universe, but it also makes sense to bring the audience back up to speed at points where there are so many different competing points of interest and so many different motivations, as well as the amount of characters that are involved inside of this and what their histories end up going through and how that interacts and bounces off everybody else inside the cast. Because this is a very large cast on a small ish island i mean i say smallish like that's 700 people that is not a lot especially when it comes to a tight-knit community where everybody is essentially trying to go through and enjoy a festival that continuously tries to get canceled at every second turn but at the end of the day this show is phenomenal not only with its jokes not only with its writing not only with its mysteries and the fact that at the end of the day, no matter how horrible things get or how tumultuous the majority of the relationships inside these characters go through, they always find a way to go and mend the relationships to not only lead themselves towards the end and avoid the face of certain death, but at least through there, they're able to go through and mend the relationships that will lead them all to a brighter future. So I really loved Summertime Render. Give it a watch. Huge recommend, easily like one of the best uh, time travel shows that I've seen by far. And now I guess there is no more for me to talk about. And at this point in time, we are all going to enter the fall. We are all going to enter this battleground together in the face of an overwhelming number of bangers and huge projects and shows that have been waiting and having the opportunity to go and entertain us and wow us at every turn. I'm really excited to see what the majority of the fall is going to be looking like, and I'm going to try and pump out a couple more episodes to at least give October a little bit to at least give October a little bit more of a meaningful feeling for me to actually go through and have the opportunity to make a big splash and at least more entertaining content when that is when we are going to be short on none of that. All right, cheers, have a good one.